again to the Casual Shooters podcast today. It's me, Huggy, and Leo. Guys, say hello. Hello. Huggy. Okay, he said, there we go. He's definitely having strokes today. Uh, so today we have today we have a guest that we're going to interview. I'd like to go ahead and introduce him now, Andy um, from Velocity Ammo Sales and another former Marine. So let's bring him in now. Hey, Andy, how are you? Hey, how you guys doing? Good morning. Thanks for having Good. me. Good morning. Andy's coming live to you from one of the greatest battles in the history of the Civil War, Chancellorsville. Yep. Right between the wilderness and oh. Chancellorsville. Yep. Boom. Right there. America. All right. So, Andy, uh, before we get into the uh, meat and potatoes of all this, we like to ask a few questions first to get to get to know our guest and make it a little bit more personal. Yep. Um, so we're going to start with. What's your favorite movie? Um, wow, I don't know. Right now, you know, I'm a big fan of, Matt, of the original Mad Max for some reason. I don't know why. Probably because my parents wouldn't let me watch it when I was a kid. But um, fair. I don't fair, know. Yeah. I like uh, I like Raiders of the Lost Ark. All the Raiders of the Lost Arks are probably my favorite. So yeah. Okay. That, that kind of adventure, like. Uh, as a kid, I always wanted to be an archaeologist. I was, you know, in the history growing up around here, you know, you, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of Civil War history and just history on the East Coast. So that always fascinated me. But yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark, probably. Okay. Pretty Raiders good choice. Yeah, yeah, that is a good one. All right. Favorite book? Um, Right now, Empire of the Summer Moon about the Comanches. That's a good book. It's about how the Comanches, you know, they were, uh, well, I think they fought the U.S. Army to a stalemate. They're the only, uh, you know, back then that was saying something. Um, but, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good book. Um, I got a lot of other. There's another one I like called, Conf God, what is that read in a while? It's called Confederate Gold. It's about how... The Confederate. It's about a guy, Bob Brewer. He he um, started discovering buried gold out in Arkansas, and he figured out his grandfather was involved in it. But it's basically a I don't know if you call it a conspiracy theory or theory that the Confederacy went and hid a lot of their riches out west because they knew the end of the war was coming and they were going to try to do this again. They went and buried a lot of stuff. But it's since now. Is that the one that talks about like the Knights of the Golden Circle and how Jesse That's James exactly, is and all that yeah. stuff? And, yeah, the Knights of the Golden Circle and how his grandfather was helping him hide uh -huh. his stuff and was like a guardian of it. But it's it's a pretty cool book. It gets down the rabbit hole a little bit, but it's uh it's pretty interesting. Yeah, with all the secret codes and everything. Yeah, that guy was a genius to figure all that stuff out. And um, yeah, that's a pretty good one. I got I don't I don't know. I read a lot of books, so. Every book I read is kind of my favorite at the time. So I don't really have a one per se, but I read a lot of history books, you know, not so much the fantasy like Game of Thrones or nothing, but, you know, just books that are real, I guess, about history. And I don't know. I think you should always be learning. So books are a great way to always be learning. And uh, you can have great access to books now with stuff like Audible and how you can go anywhere. You can be driving to the beach on vacation and listen to a book. So I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I agree. I don't know how many books I have on uh, my Kindle app on my tablet, you know. 
Yeah, it's cool. And uh, I got a lot, you know, I'm one of the, I guess I'm old school, but I like, I like the books. I like to and smell them and just have yeah. them. And sometimes people look at all the books I have and they're like, wow, what do you do with all these books? I'm like, I don't know, read them and read, read them. them. <laughs> and just, I don't know. They're nice. I don't like to have them. I'm yeah, still, I do I'm like the smell of a good book. I'm still one of those guys who goes and in Fredericksburg here, there's still two bookstores around. Uh, so I always, I, at least my wife makes fun of me at least twice a month. I'm in the bookstore. So I just, I don't know. It's like a place of solitude for me. You know, but, yeah. I, I have actually gone to a bookstore, gotten a cup of coffee, bought a book and sat down and, and just read. I, I have done the exact same thing, Dave. Yep. Yeah. And I used to do that. I've actually read books in the bookstore while I was drinking my coffee and then felt bad. So I went and bought the book, even though I just read it, and because I didn't want to, <laughs> I felt bad. That's exactly what I was paying for. But yeah, you know they they have a thing called a library where you can do that. I know, I know. Yeah, my place of solitude is I take the book to the bathroom because I got two kids. That's the only place I could be alone, other than when I'm doing this. So I, don't I get kids, it, man. My dog won't let me. My dog won't even let me go to the bathroom by myself. But. I would, wow. you know, you're right about the library. I would go to the library, but man, there's some weirdos hanging out in libraries now. They, these local cops are telling me about the weirdos that are running out of libraries now. And yeah. I've run a couple of weird calls in libraries. I get it. Sad. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Uh, all right. How about your favorite fictional character? Um... Man, fictional character. I I got a lot of them, man. Um, this is actually Leo's question. Fictional character. It's a head scratcher. Hmm. We can come back to that one. We we can yeah, be like I got a bunch of them. Like I said, like Mad Max. There's always like Obi Wan Kenobi or something, stuff like that. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like Obi Wan Kenobi is probably real. Yeah, I mean, just saying. Yeah, he's he's larger than life, but yeah, yeah. People like I love that guy. Cool movies like that and stuff like that. All right, favorite gun. Man, it's a hard one. You know, <laughs> favorite of all time. You know, I don't know. I was a kid, so my dad worked at. Uh, if you're in the area, if you're from Virginia or this side of Virginia, you know a place called Clark Brothers Gun Shop, or outside mm -hmm. Warrington, actually. Yep. And my dad worked there for 30 some years. So in the summertime, I would go there. I mean, I basically went to work with my dad and I would go replace the boards on the range and just hang out in the shop with all those guys. And they would just teach you about everything. And back then, you know, they had a rack with used guns on it. And the guy that owned it, John Clark, would just say, hey, I would go work on the range and clean up the range just for ammo. So like he would let me take any gun off the used rack and shoot it. So. You know, back then, M1 carbines were a dime a dozen, real cheap, just anything. Winchester pump rifles that were like $50 back then. Now they're like $2,000 worth. I wish I'd have bought a crate of them. But um, but honestly, back then, so everyone's heard of Heckler & Coke, H&K. Yeah. up in Chantilly. Every Friday, they had a guy come down, a big old guy, big muscular guy. His name was Roger Moore, black guy. Roger Moore, like James Bond. And uh, right. 
H&K used to use Clark Brothers as a test range, test facility. So every Friday during the summer when I was out of school, I'd make sure I was out there because he let me fire everything from full auto MP5, suppressed MP, every, everything they were test firing. I was out there with him. I was like his little, I was like his little puppy. <laughs> but, so that was really cool. That was a unique experience to be exposed to that because uh, I have to say my favorite gun because that's probably you know, any of the uh, HK, like roller lock weapons. I, I, for some reason, I always like those things. And I use MP5s in the Marine Corps, so I got a soft spot in my heart for those HK rifles. But um, yeah, Ruger, Bearcat, single action, little 22 pistols, they're a favorite. Just all those kid, those guns from my childhood that are pretty cool. I like, uh, I'm a huge fan, got a soft spot in my heart for 1903 Springfields. My, I have a Pretty good collection of those. My dad had uh, started collecting those. I got a, a lot of really nice ones that I've traced back to. They were Marine Corps issued using the Banana Wars and stuff like that. They're pretty cool, man. I like those guns. And, you know, to, to this day, those guns are super accurate for what they were. Super accurate. Right. Okay. So probably I would say, you know, HK, those rifles, and then like a 1903 Springfield's probably my, my favorite. So toss up between those two. Okay. Um, so I guess we'll go there next is, uh, I'm, I'm going to save what I was going to be the last question. I'm going to save it for later. So you and I did similar things in the Marine Corps. We never mm -hmm. served together. I didn't know you in the Marine Corps. Yep. Uh, we met afterward here locally in Fredericksburg, yep. but why don't you let us know what you did in the Marine Corps? I uh, went to Marine Corps 91. Um, you know, Young kid from Warrington, Virginia, wanted to go see the world. Signed, up for, signed up for infantry, man. Went over to uh, Okinawa and uh, was in Fort Greene for a while. And uh, I, they had a regimental scout platoon that got in that for a while. Then I started seeing these dudes down on the beach with third recon battalion back then. And those guys were, you know, parachuting out over the ocean and doing just all kinds of cool shit, you know. And I, I was where you started, Dave, wasn't it? Yes, I was there from December of '85 to December of '87. Yeah, so you we both started kind of in the same. And this, I was a baby community. back then. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I was like, we did, we did a little, uh, I guess, a deployment to Team Spirit and yes. Korea. So I was working. There was a guy in the uh, Sark, the Surveillance Reconnaissance Center. He was a, uh, you know, these. Joe Yeager, he was in third recon battalion. I was in there helping with some radio watch and stuff like that. And he had a broken arm. So he was in there, but you know, this guy was dual cool, scuba bubble wings. I started talking to him. And he goes, you know, when we get back, we're gonna run an in-doc. Why don't you do it? Um, he gave me a ranger handbook and all this stuff to look at. And I just talked to that guy for a while. He treated me, you know, he didn't treat me like a boot that I was, but so yeah, a couple months when we got back, they ran the in-doc. I did it and Went to third recon battalion, got orders over there, and that's where I stayed until '97. So yeah. Oh wow, you yep. were over there for six years. Yep. Wow. Yeah, never left. I guess I hindsight, I wish I would have left. Um, I don't know, man. There was always like every time I thought about going somewhere, rotating to a different unit, there was just like a float coming up, or hey, just hang out for a while, extend for a little bit because we're getting ready to go to Australia. So, you know, like, oh, I haven't been there. Let's go to Australia. So I just ended up hanging out over there for a while. And uh, it was cool, you know, back then in the 90s. Um, 
Yeah, it was cool. There were some, there were some larger than life people over there. I learned a lot, had some really good, still lifelong friends of platoon I was in. Um, I went into a direct action platoon, you know, with okay. the hostage rescue and stuff like that. And I still talk to every single one of those guys every, not every day, but we're, I still talk to those guys a lot. That was a tight platoon. Um, so was that DRP or did it become something else? Now DRP was uh, the, the deep reconnaissance platoon. It was it was right. the DA platoon. It was the direct action. We went, you know, okay. we did and did CQB. And back then, the Marine Corps did them. They get, they called the the CIF, the CIF, the Commanders and Extremist Force. The Marine Corps didn't do it anymore. They turned it over strictly to Army Special Forces. And now I think they gave it up. And I think now it's just strictly JSOC does all. It was back then. It was just. You know, you had these little SIF forces, whether it be over in Asia where we were at. It was us. So a direct action platoon, hostage rescue. And we had an RNS platoon, reconnaissance and surveillance platoon with us. And we just traveled around. It was us, a platoon of Navy SEALs, a Green Beret team. And we didn't always work together, but that was what kind of made up that, you know, something happened over in that area before the cool guys could come and take over. Then we were like the, we could be, they said anywhere, anywhere in that region within six hours. So we were kind of like the first line of the fence until someone bigger and better came here and took it. So we, we right. never really did anything. We just traveled around a lot, a lot of cool, a lot, a lot, a lot of cool training, a lot of cool places we went and did stuff. It was pretty cool, man. So I was unique that I got to do that at such a young age. Normally in the Marine Corps, you don't get to do that until you're. Now, now when I left in get some rank on you, but that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, when I left in 87, that uh, platoon did not exist. Yeah. D DRP was Bravo 1. Yep. I was in Bravo 2, and then you had Charlie 1 and Charlie 2. Uh, but, you know, I went to Korea three times. I went to the Philippines three times. Yeah. Uh, and NTA, I still say, is the best training area I have ever been to in my life. It's also the scariest at midnight when there's zero illumination. Yeah, you could you could definitely walk off a steep uh, embankment or a drop off. Oh, night vision NTA. It was it was. It's bad. It's bad. It was it was cool, and I agree with you, man. And you know, people think that uh, you look at NTA when you get below that canopy, whatever. Yeah, it's pretty damn hilly, man. There's some steep hills, and you know, you're humping a fifty pound rock. Yeah, up and down. It's it's a it's a smoker, man. You had to be yeah, that, is, that, that is the only. Well, okay, no, I'm not gonna say that. Um, one of only two times that I've ever been scared was in NTA. We were all moving, and it must have been midnight. Yeah, and I literally could not. Not a good see. idea. <laughs> no, it was horrible. And we're exactly what you're saying. I mean, it was steep drop offs. Um, and I literally, you hear people say, oh, it's so dark. You can't see your hand in front of your face. Uh, yeah, Absolute yeah. truth. It is I have true, yeah. never been in that position ever anywhere in my life except there. And I was literally doing this, trying yeah. to find the guy in front of me. You can try your face and not even see your hand. Not even. That's how it was. Yeah. I, and, I, you know, I couldn't see my hand and I was trying to, my eyes are like, like this. I'm trying, yeah. to, trying to yeah. hang on to the guy in front of me. Holy it's like, crap. It's like Silence of the Lambs when she was in the basement with yeah. Bill. Yeah. And, he, yeah. and you know, he's looking at it. He has a night vision. It's like that. It was kind of well, freaky, but man. with night vision, it ha there has to be some ambient light. And if it's not getting through, can't, like you have to have 
a degree of ambient light for those to work. Right. And right. if there's none at all, you're just wearing a really heavy thing that's making your neck sore. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it, you know I, don't, I don't know your guys' background, but you know, I can, me and Dave can attest. You know, back then in those times, night vision technology was like maybe a step above what they started introducing in Vietnam. It wasn't that great. It was it's okay. There's no depth perception, right? Like you said, Leo, like, yeah, it's just like the right. starlight scope, where it's just this hazy green. Yeah, it's just a little bit better than that. Yeah, right. And you know. You can't really rely on that in the jungle up in NTA in Okinawa because it, it just didn't work. It was yeah. better for like, you know, if you're moving down the road or driving a vehicle, it would have been fine. Mm -hmm. but, you know, these guys, I got a bunch of guys who retired, you know, 20, 30 years in. Um, and they're telling me that the night vision technology now is, you know, leaps and bounds. It is. I'd like to look through ones. I think it'd be pretty cool to see. If you look through a PVS7 and then whatever they have now, it's got to be like, Star Wars esque compared to what we have. right yeah there's definitely a lot more depth perception yeah. with what they have now and the like additional thermal settings that you can put on those oh, things yeah. but absolutely yeah I I wouldn't want to fall down a ravine and be like well there goes John I know yeah and like you said yeah. those things were like you put it in the outside pocket of your pouch or whatever the night vision you only use it when you really needed it because yeah like you said it was a it was a ten pound weight on your head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, the only time we used it was uh, in Korea, where you would put the but you know you'd put the I want to say they're AMP VS fives. Something like that, yeah. And then we'd take the the Tasco binoculars and then put them yeah on the other side, so you would be able to see a lot farther and yeah a lot more stuff at night. I'm mean, literally that's the only time I ever used that stuff. I know, and I've done that before. I've put um, a spotting scope in Thailand. I was looking down this river, and I was looking for this raid force come down this river in Zodiacs. But you know, like you said, it was like I couldn't see the hand in front of my face. It was a little bit of ambient light, but uh, I was laying on this bridge crossing the river, and I had a spotting scope. And I was like, "Hey, I wonder if I put these MVGs up there." Man, lo and behold, I could see for like a mile down the river. It's pretty cool. But yeah, but you really needed some. Those things weren't that good. They weren't good at all. You could, you could. Uh, yeah. They weren't great. Not at all. I agree. Yeah, the, the only time I've ever had that feeling was in a fire where I like the my partner was literally right in front of me. And I'm like, like Schultz, where are you at? And he's like, put your hand out. And I'm like, oh, and he was like within six inches of me. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, cool, we're good. It's a weird feeling, man. It's terrifying. It's a weird yeah. feeling. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really not weird. good. I know. It's it's like uh I've I've done that. I was a diver in the military. I went to uh dive school and um underwater at night sometimes you know there's sometimes man you don't know if you're if you don't know if you're what way you're facing you don't know if you're hanging upside down you don't know because it's just so damn dark yeah than you in there yeah every, everything in the ocean feeds at night and you're like now i'm part of the food chain you know yeah that sucked because I, I i dove in I've been in some uh, situations where the uh, visibility was like zero and you're sitting there and your mind starts running. Oh, it's crazy. And, <laughs> and you're like, uh, is there a large alligator down here? Piranha? Know. You know? Yeah. You're like, was that a piece of kelp or was that like jaws that just pumped my leg? Right. That's the thing. Exactly. Anything can touch you when it's like that. You start, and immediately you start, you turn into a four-year-old girl. You start freaking out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, 
Yeah. I'm trying to think, <laughs> I'm not. trying to control my breathing, yet yeah. at the same time, I can hear my heart rate in the water just go. And I'm like, if I can hear my own heart rate, then whatever animals down here can hear it too. Yep. Oh, that's hilarious. You should have just pretended you were an orca hug. You'd be like, yeah, then. Then a megalodon would have came along and ate me. <laughs> no matter what, you're done. Right. So Andy and I ended up meeting uh, because he was, I don't, I don't know how to exactly say this, uh, owner, co-owner, part owner of Velocity Ammo Sales and talking and, and we realized we had the same background. And then... Um, because of our background, we also went to get togethers in the area. Yeah. He met my buddy Mark up in Prince William, actually. Oh, yeah, Mark Slatton, great guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's how we met. So, but so Andy, how did you get from being at third for six years and doing that stuff in the Marine Corps to being yep. in ammunition sales? Kind of a long story, if you got a minute. Uh, I'll make it yep. short as possible. But so I got out in '97. Um, I got out. I was actually going to stay in, um, and had orders to go to Second Force, Second Force Recon. My mom died very suddenly. Dad started having problems. I hadn't. Um, I had extended my 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 MOS was closed for reenlistment at the time, so I extended my enlistment to stay in to wait for it to open up. In the meantime, I was going to go to Second Force anyway. So mom had uh, mom had died. My dad started having some medical issues and stuff. So I ended up at the end of that extension. Sort of, I got out um, to go help my dad. So I applied. I applied for a lot of places when I got out. Um, so I was on the waiting list to go to the next class for the DC Park Police um, diplomatic security. You know, I was also on the waiting for the next academy or where they had to do it. So in the meantime, and that was you know that wait was going to be like three or four months for me to do that i'd already done the background checks and passed all that stuff to get in but there's going to be a little bit of wait before i could get into the, like the next class as well so i actually went to work for an airline at dallas airport i was living in warrington virginia i went to work for united airlines and uh man i moved up pretty quickly there i was loading baggage man i was just hanging out free flight benefits could fly you know i was hanging out there doing that um, I got promoted pretty quickly. Actually, wasn't really seeking to, but I got promoted to supervisor, then to manager. And man, by the time it came for me to go to the park police or the state department, or whatever, I was like, man, screw that. I'm staying here. You know, this is awesome. I had you know good jobs, making good money, and working at that airport was kind of like working in its own little city. It was something new every day. It was pretty fun. So I did that. Um, for a for a while, I got into the aircraft maintenance side of it. Um, started getting my aircraft power plant mechanic license and stuff like that. Uh, went to work in the hangar. Um, 9-11 happened. Of course, we know what happened to the airline industry after 9-11. Gutted. Showed up for work one day. They were closing up our shop. Said, you know, Thursday's the last day. Here's your severance check. So I went from being doing all that stuff who kind of hung out, saved money. My dad at that time had been diagnosed with cancer. So sold my house up in by Front Royal, moved back to Warrington, got an apartment as my dad got progressively worse. It ended up, he ended up succumbing to cancer, but 
as it got progressively worse, I just moved back in his house with him. And uh, yeah, took care of him and he had cancer. And I worked for a buddy who had a land surveying business. And I kind of did that off and on with him while I was taking care of my dad. But, you know, after my dad passed, all that stuff, uh, me and my brother got all that stuff straight. I went to work. I met my wife. My wife and I actually went to high school together. She had been traveling around the world, software sales and a lot of stuff. So we met. She was back in town and we both met, recognized each other. Long story short, we moved to Fredericksburg. She took a job up here. I moved to Fredericksburg. So I got back into aviation up here with a company called Zenith Aviation. And they are a huge parts, technical, just a lot of stuff. And they support. You know, and I ran the kind of the warehousing side of that for that. At that time, I had a a lot of knowledge about the aircraft that they were dealing with. And a lot of the aircraft they dealt with was um, the ISR flights for the State Department, intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance flights. They supported the SOCOM fixed wing assets that SOCOM, the Special Operations Command had. We did all the parts and a lot of maintenance for the entire Coast Guard helicopter fleets. Um, so yeah, there were some there were some cool projects there as far as like some of those ISR aircraft and stuff goes. And it's pretty cool when you look at what the capabilities I learned that the U S government has with these flights and what they can do. You know, we supported the uh, aircraft and not to get into it too much, but you know, those guys, there was a, a other government agency, I should say went over to Afghanistan with, um, some fast moving civilian jets um, and 3D mapped the entire country of Afghanistan for SOCOM and the military. So that was, that was pretty cool to be part of that. It was pretty neat. And but yeah, I got out of that. Um, so at the meantime, you know, at, at, I stopped working there and that must have been 2017 or no, 2018, I think 2018. So, in the meantime, my buddy Dave, who is married to my wife's best friend, Dave Hazlett, he was doing these gun shows with his father. You know, he had a construction business, him and his dad really into guns. You know, they were doing this big gun show up in Chantilly, Virginia. Very hard to get into. You had to kind of be grandfathered in to get a table there. So they were selling some guns in here and some 1911s and whatever up there and a little bit of ammo. When Sandy Hook happened, you know course we all remember that that's the first time we all saw ammo prices skyrocket with the availability become nothing so he started selling ammo started getting ammo and selling it and just started snowballing he so he asked me like hey man andy do you want to help me do these gun shows and sell ammo so we did it we started i started helping them do gun shows and you know back then we thought if we could buy a couple of cases of ammo we thought we were you know hot shit thought we were killing it you know Went to the gun show and made six or seven, eight thousand dollars. Man, we thought we were, you know, Donald Trump or something. <laughs> but you know, it quickly snowballed into like doing just putting ammo in the back of a pickup truck and doing it and trying to set up and spilling ammo in the parking lot. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. We quickly snowballed into, well, let's see how far, how big we can get. We quickly realized no one wanted to talk to us. The Federals, the Hornadies, the Winchester, they were like, yeah, screw you, screw you, man. Talk to us when you can buy. A million dollars worth or a tractor and trailer worth. We're like, well, that's where we want to be. Wow. We got some, we ended up getting some really good um, contacts. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, we still use, I'm not going to disclose who it is, 
Okay. We kind of circumvented um, the way to deal with the factories direct. And that's all. I'm going to leave it there. Okay. But um, so we started doing it. We, you know, we started doing gun shows and just putting the money we made at gun shows back into buying ammo, back into the business, making it grow. You know, we both had full-time jobs. At us. I'm still in the aviation. We still do construction. And we would just be to the point where, you know, you know, we would go pick up ammo from federal and we would rent a, a 26 foot box truck and we had to go, you know, with 50 grand in cash that they didn't want to deal with us. They didn't want to give us any 30 day terms. They didn't want a company check. They didn't want shit. They wanted cash because they didn't know who we, who we were. Wow. We figured out that. Cash people, is yeah. So we would go fill up. Not a, Well, I said we were a box truck. We started out going there for 20 foot enclosed trailer and just stacking as much ammo as we could in it. And, um, yeah, stuff like that. And then, you know, going to gun shows and selling it all and just re reinvesting that money back in ammo, getting bigger and bigger to the point where we're like, Hey man, let's now we want pallets. How many can we get? I started, you know, I called up Norma, this company called Ruag, um, who's the parent company for Norma ammo. Norma is an old company. If you've been a shooter for a while, you've heard of Norma, but yeah, we're direct dealer. Got in direct with them. Wolf, you know, we just got 20. We get tractor and trailer loads of Wolf every two weeks. We get pallets from Norma now every two, you know. Um, I just went and picked up six pallets of 556 yesterday from. So, yeah, we made some really good contacts and (laughs) we quickly realized that, you know, yeah, I mean, when I pick up five pallets of 556, you know, that's. Jesus, I'm not even going to tell you the check I wrote, but it's we could have bought a house with that. I'll be over your um, house again. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we went from doing gun shows to you know we're doing gun shows half half of the year, and our wives are getting pissed at us because we're never home. Really, I mean, there's some days, man. I didn't, you know seven weeks in a row and no days no days off. Wow. Come back, go back to full time job, and it quickly snowballed into Buddy Bar, Scott Stewart, High Velocity Arms. So he wanted to kind of team up with it. He had a gun shop. We were doing ammo. And at the time we first started out, we were using some of his vendors to get ammo and just reselling it. Not a whole lot of it, but we, what we could get. But um, so we ended up, we ended up going to the business with Scott, teaming up, moving to a new facility in Fredericksburg. He did the guns. We did the ammo. Uh, we quickly outgrew that, you know, had a conversation with Scott, like, Hey man, we got to go. Um, we're quickly outgrowing this facility. And the reason we outgrew was because we started selling stuff online. We got tired of doing gun shows and quickly figured out, like, you know, online, you got a, you got a nationwide audience. Right. Not you're seeing. And it quickly grew that. And it was a growing pain. It took a year, year and a half to do that. We were just shipping. All I was doing, I was in the back of the shop shipping ammo. And Dave's been in there and see, seen it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was um, quickly went from that to, we. wow, we were outgrowing. Like, I would. Like we're getting deliveries of pallets and there wasn't enough room in there. So we moved into a larger facility, got, um, as I said, we started buying pallets of ammo and getting these deliveries. And it was all just reinvesting back in the business. We weren't making nothing at that point. We were still having full-time jobs. and But it quickly came to a point where I left my job in the aviation. Dave closed down his construction business and we went at it full-time. Um, we went at it full-time doing gun shows for a while. And the gun shows were supporting us doing this. And I come back. We'd come back on the weekdays and we'd ship ammo. We'd come back on the weekend, have all these internet orders and, you know, ship it out and ship it out. Now we got full f- four 
full-time guys, and that's all they do is ship ammo. <laughs> so we got six, seven, eight, eight, nine employees now. Um, and we're just, you know, still some of them. Yeah, still some of the employees now, they, they just do internet stuff. They manage the internet. They manage the website. As we get ammo in, they put it up for sale. We have a discussion about prices and what we paid for it and stuff like that. But yeah, we just, you know, Monday morning, I'm going to go in there and have a thousand orders to ship out. Good Lord. Yeah, a thousand orders. And for the last month, but the last two months, it's been like that. You know, show up Monday, everybody buys every weekend. And normally when we put ammo up, I, I just pick up six pallets of 556. Five, I'm sure that'll be gone Monday. We literally put it up yesterday for sale on the internet and it'll be gone Monday. So we got to ship all that stuff out. We just invested a lot in infrastructure as far as um, automation, as far as like putting ammo in the box to ship it and then send it through a machine. It packages it all up, tapes the box, puts a shipping label on it, and we just pallet you know, we we have to because shipping a thousand orders manually is just it would crush us. It would take us a week to do it. And you know, you can't have people waiting for a week. You know, if I order ammo and it says you got it in stock, damn it, I want my ammo within a couple of days, you know. So yeah, so we're you're doing better than Optics Planet. What's that? You're doing better than Optics Planet, then you're actually getting yeah. your stuff out. And you know, we're still small enough now where we can still provide that customer service. If we screw your order up, hey, accidentally, we get a thousand orders, we send you the wrong ammo by mistake. We can correct that ammo. We can correct that mistake now, like that day. As soon as you let us know, we can do it and have you a new tracking number and your ammo back to you, your right ammo to you. We're still small enough. I don't think we ever want to get big enough where we can't do that. So I think customer service is lost in this industry. I think if you call up, I don't know, wherever you, you call up SG ammo, not for them guys. Those guys are great. And they're a giant in this business, but yeah, they do good work. Hey man, you can get, sponsor. no, no, you can call up our company. You can get the owner of the company <laughs> on the phone and he'll take care of it like that. And I think that's unheard of right now. And we're getting big enough. Now we're going to move into a, Man, it it it's scary to say this. We're gonna we are in negotiations, and it's probably gonna happen to a forty thousand square foot warehouse. So wow, that's where it's going. Um, we are in. I'm not gonna say too much because it's not happening. So we went to the ATF. We upgraded all our FFLs. You know, a lot of these people won't talk to you unless you have a federal firearms license. They want you to know you're legit. That you're actually in it. You're not some guy just selling out your mom's basement. So, um, and that's the way we took it from buying a couple of cases of ammo to pallets and truckloads. So, you know, when all this COVID started, you know, ammo, that was the first panic, you know, really ammo started, people were buying guns and they were buying ammo and they were hoarding ammo. Now you got, you know, right, that happened. These riots started happening. That was the second wave where people started doing it again. And now we're at like kind of like a third stage now with the election and inauguration day. We're at like a third stage where there's just nothing out there for American made ammo. And the president CEO of federal just did a YouTube video and he hit it. People always ask me, Andy, where's the ammo at? Where are these people not making it? Are they hoarding whatever? But you know, federal, the, the, sorry, the manager and the CEO of federal came on and said, Hey, look, man, basically, you know, I don't think he said it, but I, heard that they had to shut down the assembly line a couple of times for COVID people got in there to disinfect everything that puts you behind, you know, you had, like I said, the first wave of COVID there's 7 million new shooters at the beginning of 2020 when this thing first hit 7 million, that's seven. And if everybody wants a thousand rounds of ammo, add that up times 7 million. Then the second wave hits, there's another 7 million new shooters. It's just, 
they can't keep up. They literally can't keep up and they are producing ammo as fast as they can, but they have a broad product range and, you know, everybody wants nine millimeter, five, five, six or whatever and 40 caliber, but that's not the only thing they produce, you know, and I think they're having a problem getting a little bit of raw materials. Now the brass, Making primers, Jesus, I wish we'd have had, I wish we'd invested in 10, 10 pallets of primers last year because we could have cornered the market in primers right now. There's no primers out there. If you read Logan, there's nothing. And it's a sad situation, but that's the gist of it. But so that's where we're at. Yeah, that's yeah. where we're at right now. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're a competition shooter and you like to just shoot for fun or whatever and you reload, good luck, man. You better, you, you could have hoarded stuff the last few years. Because there's nothing out there right now, and honestly, to, buy, to find a box of nine millimeter full metal jacket right now, I mean, it's it's non-existent. It's a unicorn. It's so, sad what is, thing, but. so what is the status on importing? So we went to the ATF to get back on that and say, look, we need to upgrade. We want to get an import license, all this stuff. So we did all that. We did it months ago. Um, it seems like the ATF it's kind of slow walking stuff right now. We should have it any time now. So basically what we have, oh man, I know that for a fact we got about 12 20 foot ship containers full of product overseas trying to get on a ship next month in February over here. And that's a mix of nine mil and a bunch of other stuff. So a couple million rounds that we're waiting on, we just need our import license to do it. And we hopefully I want to show up Monday and hopefully we get the phone call like, yes, you guys got it. We can do that. But you know that's our only hold up for doing it. We would do. We've done all of our due diligence. We've paid for the ammo. Like I said, we always reinvest back in company. We've paid for all or the majority of the ammo. You know, those guys got millions of our dollars over there, and they're trying to put this ammo on the ship. But we need that license to do it, and that's kind of where we're at. So, you know, federal Hornady, all them guys tell us kind of privately that you know they could dump 10, 20 million rounds of nine millimeter on the market right now. And you wouldn't even see it. It wouldn't even be a blip on the radar because it would be absorbed. People would buy it like that. Um, so there is no ammo out there. American-made manufacturers doing it. They're they're trying the best they can, but you know everything they put on the market is being absorbed. So we started right. looking at what's overseas, and we had to get some contacts overseas. Pretty hard to do, and you're talking at buying you know a year's worth of time at an ammo factory over there, for places like Fiocchi, Fiocchi, yep. Seller and Balad, and you know these. PPU and so like that, yep. you know, we were trying to buy a block of factory time then to produce us ambo. And we want us, basically we're trying to, we're trying to buy a steady stream where they send us six containers of ammo. We sell it and then we get six containers next month and we get six containers. We trying to keep it going, you know, but uh, that's the way we are right now. We're trying to get ammo anywhere we can. And, um, you know, ammo over there and the, the overseas market is drying up too. And all this ammo I'm talking about, we're getting. It's all like the, uh, you know, it's the, it's the, it's good, it's good stuff. It's all brass, NATO spec stuff. So it's not like we're trying to dump a bunch of inferior stuff in the market. But um, yeah, it's we're trying to buy the best stuff we can at the best price to make it. I don't think we're going to come out of this crisis, ammo crisis, for a year or so. And we're trying to get some stuff over here and get it at a reasonable price where. We can help guys out because everybody wants to get, I want to go shooting, but I, I'm not going to give up my personal supply right now to go shoot. And I know, you know, a lot of, a lot of competition shooters, we get it. I get phone calls every day, but I just want whatever you can give me. I can't reload. I, just, I need anything. And um, I feel the pain, man. We're trying to, 
we're trying to help out, but that's just the situation it is right now, unfortunately. But yeah, sorry to take up so much time explaining that, but yeah, it's, no, it's, no, dire, it's dire right now in the shooting world for ammo. Yeah. I mean, that's and awesome. I, I think that's a glimmer of hope that people are out there trying to get mm -hmm. import licenses because we, we interviewed two Canadians uh, back in yeah. November yeah, and nowhere else in the world are they experiencing an ammo shortage. It's only right. in the United States. So is, yeah. If we can capture some of that other ammunition being made, look, I've shot Fiocchi and I've shot Seller and Balot. Mm -hmm. and that stuff is good ammo. It is, man. I got no it's problem with it. Really good. Yeah. I, I am more than willing to buy that and use it and shoot it. I'm like exactly what you're saying. And yeah. you guys are the same way in that we have a finite amount of material and ammo. And I, I don't even know if I'm going to have a shooting season, to be honest with you. Yeah, I was going to say, you guys, you know, I know you, Dave, are especially a competition shooter. You're doing a lot. I know you bought ammo from us, a lot of ammo from us. Mm -hmm. you do that. And USPSA and and stuff like that, and you and your son. So how is the competition market looking? Is it like they're just shut down, like there's no competition because of this virus and stuff? Well, so it's interesting you bring that up because uh, I have family that have a range up where closer to Huggy in West Virginia, Shadowhawk. Um, yeah. And – yeah, they're, and they're awesome. Randy and Lynn are amazing. Not a sponsor, but yeah, Randy and Lynn are awesome. But yeah, yeah I mean, they, they're starting to do... Um, uh, gun. Thank you. Yeah, pellet gun competitions just oh, yeah. to get people something to, to compete with. Yeah. You know, so because yeah. like you said, USPSA, Steel Challenge, Two Gun, all that stuff that they regularly every weekend morning and evening session for, yeah. for both days like that's slowing down like the time the, the last time i think huggy and i went up there it was a really i mean we had three other two other guys in our squad and yeah. i mean that was it like that was the side like squads going from 12 people down yeah. to four or five people yep. you know like it's just it's it's hard and that there's dry fire is dry fire and it's great for training but yeah, people just don't want to give up their ammo to to shoot a local match. Yeah, because, I know. And, you know, yeah. and even majors uh, at the end of the season last season when we went to nationals, it still wasn't as big as it was the year before. Yeah, um, and most of those people are sponsored and you know yeah. get their ammo paid for, but yeah. you know guys like us that are doing it recreationally, like it's just not worth it to go to a local match because you're wasting your ammo. Yeah, I'm not be wasting, but it's not. You know what I mean? If you're not one of those paid guys, you know, sponsored guys, and God bless those guys because they're good enough and yeah, love it. sponsorship. But you know, if you're not, if you're a guy like us that wants to shoot competition, the amount you spend in gear and ammo is mm -hmm. a car payment every month. Yeah, it's a car payment, man. And not more, if not more, yeah, it depends yeah. on how deep you want to get into it, man. You can buy some, you know, these people that buy. Well, I can say this. I, Maybe I might get up on tangent, but there's some guys who can afford to go out there and buy some race guns that you mm -hmm. know are crazy. You can buy a four thousand, five thousand dollar pistol. Right. But I can tell you right now, there's some guys out there I know can take a Glock or a Canic or a Ruger American off the shelf and smoke that guy's ass, dude. Oh yeah. Right. You know, it, it, it's funny because you get the guys who who practice and put the time into practice and the fundamentals. That four or five thousand dollar race gun doesn't mean nothing to that guy. He, he can smoke your ass with it, dude. And right, but I think it's, but yeah, I wish you know. There's some. I've been to some PSA matches, man, and those guys that there's some there's some serious guys out there, man. There's some serious guys who got some two, three thousand, four thousand dollar guns who were man incredible. You look at me like, dude, how how are you that fast? 
How are you that fast and accurate? You know, that's, that's crazy. I think it's pretty cool. And I think that, uh, you know, people don't realize to get to that level of confidence in your muscle memory and everything to run a gun like that, man, it takes a lot. Yeah, the elite level athleticism that is required to do that is lost on people that don't understand the sport and the training that goes into it. Yeah, yeah. you're an athlete, man. You you go watch a high level or even a local three gun match and watch these guys. It's crazy, man. Those guys are, man, they're ridiculous. I was in a platoon in the Marine Corps. You know, we kind of we were always shooting. We we would shoot a pound of ammo a week between MP5s and you know 45s, but. Man, you watch these guys do this stuff. It is, it's insane, man. <laughs> and and malfunctions, how they clear malfunctions, and mm-hmm. how they shoot and move, and it's it's crazy. And it's and there's some women out there and young people that are, whoa, man. I mean, they'll make you pretty humble pretty damn quick. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, we've interviewed a couple of them. Yeah, the yeah. women's national champion was a 17. She's now 18, but she, yeah, was she just had a birthday. Yeah. Yeah, you look at like Lena Mikulik, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Man, they're, that's crazy to watch it. I went up to Peacemaker National and watched three-gun match with Jerry. I think I'm saying his name right. Mikulik. But, man, you go up there and watch some of those guys. It's like, holy crap. And I got to watch the uh, Marine Corps three-gun team. and Yep. Like that, man, those guys are man, that's a high level. It's a high level. You think you're yeah. gonna go up there as some weekend shooter and no, no, yeah. <laughs> Trust me, we are very aware. Like we went to nationals knowing we weren't competing for first, second, third, sixth, a hundredth. Yeah. We're like, we're competing for not last. We're at least <laughs> Huggy and I. <laughs> but that's a good experience, man. You see, like the uh it's a good experience to do that. Um yeah. To see that oh, yeah. level, and you to even get into it to throw your hat in that ring, that's commendable because you know you can be. It's not that you can do it now, but man, you put enough time, you can be there. You can Tell be you. there like that if you put the time. And unfortunately, we don't have the ammo to do it right now. But if, man, oh, yeah. you can. Anybody can do it, man. It's you just mind over matter. If you sometimes kind of will yourself to do it, put enough dry fire and practice in, man, you can be right up there with some guys or pretty damn close. You know, a lot of these guys get paid to do it and. That's all they do is shoot. But I wish so, that, that would be a great job to have, to be honest with you. Get a pile of ammo dropped off by ammo by ammo sponsor and some guns and just go shoot. That'd be great. But that would be awesome. It would be that's, awesome. That's a dream come true right there. It really is, man. Yeah. Now, Andy, I ran into you. Um, this sticks in my head. I remember it was either October or November of 2019. Yep. So like three months before the pandemic even hit. And you, I want to say we were at the Fredericksburg gun show. Oh, it probably was. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you were like, dude, he's like, there's an ammo shortage, man. He's like, you were like, man, I can't find ammo. And I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Cause you had, you know, you had what I, what looked to me like your normal stash of ammo. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that was before the pandemic ever started. It was, it was kind of like, it must've been the beginning of 2020 like the January, February. Cause I remember about February, March is the first time I started hearing the words coronavirus or COVID-19. I'm like, what the hell is the COVID-19? I didn't know what the hell, but then when you started to pay attention and you, you know, in this business, you could see like, Holy crap, it's getting ready to be a rush because people are going to panic. And we, we predicted a little bit, but we had no idea it's going to be as bad as it was. You know, we were doing, 
gun shows in different locations every every almost every weekend. And typically, Fredericksburg was our worst producing show, I should say. It was, but I think Fredericksburg, we actually set a record for every show. I mean, we sold. I'm not going to disclose numbers, but, man, right. we did. No. And it, you could see it happening because people were literally – people were telling us, I want to buy ammo and I need to buy a gun because we are going to get locked down. And I'm scared that the people that don't have anything that can't provide themselves will try to take it from me. And that was their reasoning. And I was like, well – you better buy it now because it's not going to be around. It's going to either disappear. The ammo is going to disappear or it's just going to go. The prices are going to skyrocket. And yeah. We're going to sk the reason these prices skyrocket is because, you know, and I hate to say it, the hoarder, but hey, man, you should have as much ammo as you think you need. But the people start hoarding. And when you know people start hoarding ammo or stuff like that or raw materials start becoming a problem, then that it just, you know, yeah, I would tell people like this. If you go to the rest, if you go to a restaurant and you want to order seafood or fish or something, and it says on the menu market price, it's because it fluctuates, and that's the way ammo is right now. It's the market price for everything in the gun and ammo industry right now. I mean, I've talked to gun dealers all the time, and they can't get guns right now. Well, and that's even like Canic is a really good example because Canic is a very reasonably priced firearm for the yeah. quality that you're getting right yeah. now. Try finding a Canic of. TP9, TP9 SFX, yeah. Elite, whatever, yeah. for what you were getting it at in the beginning of 2019, end of 2018, yeah. it's not going to happen. Man, I'm going to be honest with you. You're right about those guns. Canik is one of those. I'm, for that price, you're not going to buy a better gun. Yeah. No. To go, if you want to get into competition shooting or just have a really nice, man, I've seen guns that are $200 more expensive than some of those guns. Andy. That are just as nice in the Canik. It's just as nice or nicer than some of them. Yeah. The guy is not a sponsor, but we'd love them to be just in case anybody's listening. I know, I know David's a big fan of him. Yeah. He kind of turned me on to him. Yeah. Well, we were looking at him when we were up in the gun shop up there. We were getting some in, and, man, those things are nice, man. Mm -hmm. They're really nice. Well, and, and the guy who was second to Max Michelle at Nationals was shooting a canic. Really? Yep. So, so number Michelle. two in the country right behind Max Michelle shooting a canic. See, that's a testament, like I said earlier. You can be sponsored. You can have all this high-speed gear and, and $7,000 three-gun ARs and pistols, man. But, dude, you can take a canic like that, and you don't have to do – there's some upgrades to things. You don't have to do very little. You have to do very little to them. And that right. Springs about it. Yeah, and it, that thing's like a sewing machine, man. It's always going to go. It's always going to work, man. And he's, a, he's not sponsored. Isn't, so. isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and this goes to the point where a lot of people are saying, I mean, you can't even say it's a good gun for the price. You just say it's a good, it's gun. good gun. Yeah. 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 Because Wands at Kim is shooting an $1,800 Walther Q5 and he was what, third, fourth or fifth, somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah. You know, here's a, here's a $500 Canic. Right. Second. Yeah. So, and you know, he didn't pay $500. He's probably got $500 in upgrades and everything. I think, you know, close to it. I don't know what the cans go through. I think they were, they were less than 500 when I was looking at it, but yeah, but yeah, yeah right now. And that, and, but that, that's just to, to speak to that point that it's, it's literally yeah. for, for what you were getting it for it. Like you're not finding no. guns yeah. at the, at, at what we would have normally been like, Oh, this is a reasonable price for that firearm. Yeah. Like even the SIG, like, cause I shoot SIG, not a sponsor, which would be great. Yeah. But yeah, I shoot SIGs. Like good luck finding 
my 320 X5 for under $900 now. And yeah, not like yeah. their Legion where it's super faint, like just okay. a regular yep. 320 X5. Good yep. luck finding that at a, at a normal price. I went to the range with a guy, a good friend of mine, uh, Shelton Little, and he uh, he had X5 with mm -hmm. the red dot on stuff like that. Man, yeah. I like that thing. I was, it's a great gun. I was close to buying one. That thing, I liked it, man. It felt good. And it, but then all this stuff happened. I'm like, dude, I'm not paying that for. I, I, I literally just had uh, one of the local sheriff's department. I was, you know, was talking to him the other day. He was showing me on Gunbroker a 10 oh, millimeter, yeah. a 10 millimeter Glock 20. Mm -hmm. They're going on Gunbroker for fifteen hundred dollars. Easy, wow. easy, unbelievable, man. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, yeah, you know, unbelievable. And you're like, oh, I'll go on Gunbroker and get a deal, dude. I wonder how much I could sell my Quantico built 1911 for. You'd be Man. rich. <laughs> You'd be making it rain. I'd oh, sell yeah. it. For, I'd trade it for a case of ammo at this point. I'd say, yeah, you can get a case of you can get a thousand rounds of nine mil for that thing, Dave. Probably. <laughs> well, you know, it's actually kind of interesting because you remind me of a story that was told to me about this guy who bought a pallet <laughs> ammunition. Yeah. And literally, he died. He got this pallet of ammunition at his house, and he died. And so his wife literally just told people, "Come take it," because she didn't want it. Oh so I know God. that guy. I know that guy was like rolling over in his grave, going like, "What? I just dropped all this money on all this ammunition, yeah, and now you're just giving it away." And yeah, so she has no idea what that called. Where's she at? Oh, it's, it's, you can't it tell a story like here. that and be like, "Oh." It was out here in Winchester area, but the 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 part was way to go, like, teammate. You know, I, well, look, I just took it as a story to say, hey, look, don't be such a hoarder. Take what you need, and that's it. Yeah. Because you know, you by you hoarding it, it's not going to do you any good eventually. Yeah. You know? The hoarding is yeah. getting worse though, because when you can't find it, when people do find it, they're going to buy everything that they can. Time out right. for those of us that don't have salt and pepper in our hair yet. I got time to use the ammo. It's not my fault you're going to be seeing Jesus tomorrow. <laughs> well, you know, because I'm in this business and people always ask me, man, I bet you have tons of ammo. I'll be honest with you, man. You know, I got I got what I got. And I don't have, I got a lot of guns and warranted at my brother's house. A lot of guns on the heritage. My dad, like I said, he was in Clark Brothers for 30 some years. And I got, I got a pretty good collection, man. And um, some nice stuff, but I don't have all this stuff up here. I, I got an AR and I think I got an 870 shotgun and two Glocks. Yeah. And you know, yeah. for my AR, I think I have a thousand rounds and I probably have 200 rounds of nine mil. I don't need right. 10,000 rounds. I'll probably shoot the bro. But, and that's just for, you know, you always say, what if the, what if the poop hits the fan? What are you going to hey. do? I can't carry 10,000 rounds. Of, I, and literally, if there's a wave of Chinese coming across my front yard or Russians, or whatever, everybody's. <laughs> not, then I can do if I if I can get a thousand of them, I'm, I'm saving one bullet for myself. Like I don't right. I can't shoot that much. You know what I mean? Like Jesus, right. people right. are always like, Wolverines. I know they're like red dawn all over again. You need you need five thousand rounds for each gun. I'm like, not me, man. I need what I have. You know, and if I want right. to get super fun, then I was no. Now, if you're going to go shoot competition and stuff, it's really not hoarding at that point because it's like putting gas in your car. It's like putting gas right. in your gun. You need a lot of you need a lot of rounds, man. You're gonna go shoot a thousand rounds, dude. That guy, you need ten thousand rounds. You're gonna be a competition shooter, but just the average everyday guy who's 
a prepper or something like that, 10,000 rounds, man, good luck, buddy. Because and it's so it's so funny you say that because I have quite a few prepper friends, and they're just like you just friends. said, they got thousands of rounds, and I'm yeah. like going. What are you going to do with all that when, you know, you can't carry it all. You, right. you need an F-350 to carry it all. You right. need stronger quads is what you really need, Huggy. Yeah. You got to yeah. put in a little bit more work. I know. You can't carry it all. I those back you straps. carry a full-blown human on your back, you can carry a couple rounds, okay? <laughs> so you just get lazy because he's getting old. <laughs> He's like, ah, I just need two mags. I'll be fine. All right. So, Andy, I, I know your answer is because I saw it on one of the groups where <laughs> we're on together, private yeah. groups on Facebook. Um, so do you think retail prices will return to normal at all or even close to what they were um, in the pandemic? I do. Okay. I don't think it's going to be anytime soon, though. Okay. I say that. Um, I think it's going to take a while for the ammo manufacturers to produce enough. Well, I, I guess they can flood the market, I guess, where you're not worried about Jesus. I need to buy a nine millimeter because you're not going to be able to get it. Right. Where, you know, it used to be, you could go find nine millimeter at Walmart or wherever people weren't worried about it. And, and, and a box of 50 rounds of nine mil costs 10 bucks or something like that. Um, so I think it's going to be a while before they do that. I think once they do that, once everyone stops panicking, I think we're in a panic right now. I think once that panic, you know, I hate to say it, but Americans are lazy. We're all lazy to some point, but you know, everybody's worried about, man, if Joe, if Joe Biden gets in there, we're going to have an uprising. We're going to go do all this. And no, you're not, dude, sit down and shut up. You're not going to go be killing Democrats or whatever you got. You're not going to do that. Just shut up. Two weeks from now, you'll you'll be like squirrel. You'll be on to something else. But <laughs> once all those people calm down, you know, the the, the patriots, I should the the fake whatever you want to call them. You know, I'm a patriot. I shouldn't say that, but you know, once all these people calm down and 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 they stop hoarding ammo and people, it gets back to normal. Then yeah, it's going to be like the gas prices. You know, a couple of years ago, gas prices were four dollars. You know, went down to like dollar ninety nine. I think it's going to be like that. Once the panic's over, I think it will. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. I think we're about two years. I think it's going to be two years, to be honest with you. I think it's I, going to be I agree. I agree. But I think during that two years, you might see it gradually. You might see it start getting better and better. I don't think it's going to be overnight, though. I don't. I may yeah. be wrong. I don't know. But yeah, like I think it'll naturally good. drop back to where it would normally meet yeah. its regular level of inflation. Yeah, it's going to be like the gas prices went from four dollars to right three dollars and forty three cents, and then it right. went to. You know, two fifty, and now you know when it's going to gradually go down as it starts getting there. But it's going to it's going to take a the people to you know don't be an idiot, man. You know, Jesus, it's yeah. like toilet paper, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. right. You know, so this is Ammo's version of toilet paper. Yeah, four months ago you couldn't find toilet paper. I just went this yeah. morning and actually bought some toilet paper. But yeah, I think it's going to be. I don't know. I'm going to ask you guys. What do you guys think this political climate? You know, it could well, be. That, I don't know. I, that I don't was my, my next concern is I know that, you know, Biden's coming in wanting to cancel online ammo retail sales. Yeah. So that, well, that's a big concern. Yeah, that's going to create another issue. It's going to create a. 
I mean, hey, let's face it, man. Um, let's look at Amazon. You can sit in your you can sit in your pajamas and watch TV and watch a movie with your laptop and order anything you need off and have it delivered to your house within a couple of days. I mean, ammo's like that now. It's if you can go find ammo, go on ammo seek. Right. Find who's got the cheapest ammo and have it delivered. Um, but yeah, to have that stop, to have ammo, to have it where I mean, that's what we do. We make money off exactly. selling ammo online. If he stops that, I guess, well, I don't know. I guess we'll go back to doing gun shows or something. But it's also concerning to us because, man, we're getting ready to go into a 40,000 square foot facility. And that's right. because we need, we're growing so fast. We need to. In the space um, for storage. Yeah. yeah, we're internet fulfillment. If they shut down the internet, I don't know. Do we open up a massive internet? You just walk in like a grocery store for ammo? Maybe. I don't know. We'll set this oh. thing. It's but it's really concerning though because I don't you don't know, man. He's sleeping bag. Yeah, he signed something like stupid do it. these executive orders, and you know, they did where work's gonna come in and be the guns are and take all of our stuff and put all these regulations. And you know, they wanted they want me to pay. I got I got a bunch of AR magazines, I got 50 AR, AR magazines. They, they want me to pay like two hundred dollars a piece from tax credit. Come on, man. Who yeah, did? Dave and I did the math on that one day. Yeah. Uh, I lost all my stuff in a tragic boating accident. Absolutely. In case somebody sees this this episode and is like, "Oh, he's got a that bottom of a river." You and twenty five other million gun owners. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I had them on the back of the boat and I forgot to tie them down, and they yeah. all just they fell. Sorry. You know, Gary, will this stuff happen? I think you know Congress and there's some senators and congressmen and stuff out there, and I think the Capitol's full of people who. Uh, you want to see something happen and whatever yeah. that is, it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be good for us. I think, I don't think it's going to be anything that, you know, guys like us just want to go out and shoot guns and, and yeah. recreation and have, and go hunting and whoever. And we're not harming anybody, man. Oh, that's all we want. It's the second amendment. And uh, yeah, how are we hurting everybody going to the range on a weekend shooting a competition? You know what I, I mean? Know. It's, 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 it's emotionally harmful. I know, man. To someone's it, psyche. They think we're crazy okay. and they think something's wrong with us. And I don't know, man. Yeah. They, yeah, just, they, they, sit, they sit there and look at the uh, guns being harmful. But yet at the same time, look how many automobiles have killed people. Oh, man. They have not well, done a thing about I mean, it. Man. In 2017, Johns Hopkins came out with a study, an estimate of 250,000 people die every year from doctors' mistakes, physician mistakes. So that's a quarter million people. Outlaw doctors. That's an astronomical now number. With doctors. Yeah, that's an astronomical so number. Why don't you try to figure that out first? Right. You know, I can go get my Glock right now and and go to my liquor cabinet and get a bottle of whiskey. And that bottle of whiskey kills more people every day than fucking, you know, I'm just saying, like, more people die from getting drunk, driving a car, or just being stupid on alcohol than any amount of guns ever going to happen it's statistics man and you know it, th i think some of these statistics they have on gun violence i think it's skewed man i mean there's you you would have it oh, yeah. it seems like oh, yeah. you walk outside your door and it's like the wild west like bullets are flying everywhere sometimes like dude it's just not like that and people aren't like that i think the most people that own guns are res are responsible gun owners they grew up around kind of like we probably did or in the military and they're responsible they know gun safety and the fact that when I was in school, you know, we got taught gun safety. You got you right. taught the Boy Scouts, and you did, man. And it was nothing for us to go 
out in the woods when my dad's at work at 10 years old and he completely trusted us to go out and hunt squirrels. Wasn't like we were right. all I mean, you and I, you and I grew up in the same County cause I'm actually from the plains. Oh yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yes. So I mean, I hear you completely. That's how things were. I mean, yeah. everybody rode around with a gun in the back of their, the truck and everything of that nature, yeah. you know, in the rack. Yeah. Nobody said anything. Nobody did any harm. And you no know? one died. You know, right, exactly. So, you know, I, I think this is ridiculous in my personal opinion. Uh, it's like you get one bad apple. It's like, and that's what I look at. It's like one bad apple in a bunch, and you're going to throw that whole bushel of apples away? Sure. No. It's absolutely true. Yeah. All right, you just take that one bad apple out. That's it. And, you know? I, and I think, man, a lot of it too, Huggy, is um, – Politicians too, and I guess mostly politicians. I think they're just uneducated. Oh, oh yeah, no, no, no. You know what? You're I just disagree. Uneducated about guns. I disagree because yeah. they are educated. Because you know what? Half of them have guns and they don't say anything. They don't well, want you true. to know that they have a gun in their house. It's true. They, just, they play to the public of the weaker minds and go, "Oh, they're so bad." Yet you could probably go to their house and be like, "What's that over in the corner?" Oh, you didn't see nothing. Come over here. You know, it's true. It's true. So, but, you know, in general, though, I think there's a whole just this whole, you know, I say the mothers of America um, that just think guns are bad. They think, you know, you walk in your house and you, you walk in my house, you walk in my bedroom, there's an 870 in the corner. Right. Um, I don't know. I probably have some neighbors that have come over to visit and see it. They probably think the gun's just going to fall on the ground and shoot everybody, just walk around and murder everybody. You know, I don't know. There's there's that mentality out there, and I just don't understand. I think it's just uneducation. People are just people are just weird, man. People now, now weird. I I will have to say that I agree with you. There are some people that are out here that just have no education. Yeah. They don't understand yet. If and I and I'll use the term, if things go to hell in a handbasket, they're going to run to you and be like, "Oh my God, protect me!" Really? I know. They want me to protect you now after you yeah. sit there and said that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think I think you're absolutely right, you know. And I've actually had people say that, like, uh, well, we don't want to have guns in our house because we have kids or this, whatever. But man, we can just come to your house, Andy. And I'm like, hey, you know what? Having kids is not an excuse. I mean, right? Dude, you know, my parents had me and my brother, and I was an idiot when I was a kid. Man, I was ADD and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But I knew. Enough because I was ingrained in my head. Don't touch the guns. Right. Or yeah. I was so my dad taught me enough about guns that I was trusted with them. Right. I think I think that's a, having kids yeah. is I more think, of yeah. a reason for you. Like because I got I didn't get into it, but my, my in-laws are very different uh than than me and my wife now, obviously, but um like my mother-in-law asked me one day when we first, when my wife and I first got together, like, why do you carry a gun? And I said, I said, your daughter and your grandchildren. I said, that's, I mean, aside from the fact that constitutionally I'm allowed to, I was like, yeah. I carry a gun on the, uh, it is a tool. That's all it is. It is, it's like a hammer. It serves a function. And if I never have to use that tool, great. But I would rather have the tool on me when I needed it than be like, well, I don't have the tools, so I have to rely on something else. Oh, yeah. um, so yeah, that's the thing. All it is is a tool. My kids, like my four-year-old, 
he doesn't play with the guns. He does like he knows that you don't touch it. And then as he gets older, obviously I will will educate him. But it's I would rather him see it as commonplace and not something that's a mystery that he's curious about. And that way he knows like if you have knowledge, you have power. If if you're educated on a subject, then then you can speak to that subject. We shouldn't have people that are uneducated dictating legislation. They have no idea what the heck they're talking about. You know, yeah, just like good. you shouldn't have an uneducated child messing around with a gun. Like again, it's a right. tool, but it I mean a hammer is just as dangerous I mean, as a firearm. You wouldn't let your six-year-old kid jump in the car and go to the grocery store. Why'd you let him handle a gun? Let's you know what I mean? Like, but you know, the uneducation part of what I wanted to say, uh, sorry, I feel like I'm talking too much, but you know, we're at gun shows all we did gun shows all the time, and it, we always had this thing in velocity ammo that who okay at the end of the day who who fielded the stupidest question <laughs> and it I was love because you know you would have people i mean i will preface this by saying everyone now walks around with a freaking supercomputer in their pocket anything you want you can look up on this anything so people will literally do more research on what car to buy or what keto diet to get on than they will about, I'm going to go buy my first gun. Anything about it. So they'll go to the gun show, buy a gun. They'll walk up and, hey, I need ammo. Okay, well, I just bought a Glock. You got, you got any ammo for a Glock? I'm like, yeah, what caliber is it? They're like, I don't know. It's a Glock. Do you have Glock ammo? I'm like, holy <laughs> moly. It's weird. I'm like, you know, get your money back and go buy a ballpoint hammer or a stun gun. You don't need it. I mean, literally. yeah. But it, it's dumb. You know, it's, it's like they don't know the difference between the bare day one stuff like full metal jack and hollow point, no difference. They think the grain weights, how much powder is in it. They don't, they don't know. They just think it's a Glock. They think they're all the same. Cal it's, I don't know. It's crazy. See, that's, it's a good thing. I don't work with you because I would bring a dry erase board. I know and I write all that up there. So when people come up there and ask a dumb question, I just point at the board and say, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I know it, it almost got to that point where it was, it was just, wow. But so what's your what's your craziest gun show story? Uh, there's a couple of them, but you know probably the man. This guy walked up, and he was like, "Hey, I got a question. He wanted to buy about ammo." And normally, you know, hey, what's the difference between this box of? He wanted to buy some forty cal. He just bought up, I don't know, some forty pistol. So he wants to know the difference between this range ammo, the FMJ, and the hollow point. And his question was, so I'm telling him the difference. You know, he's like, so I got a question for you. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, um, so if I want to kill someone, <laughs> specifically a woman, I would want to use the hollow points, right? So I was like, dude, your money's no good here. I'm not selling the ammo. Get away. Don't, dude, don't ask me questions. I guess I, I there was something in me thought he was serious. I don't know. But I've literally had, I don't know, man. I've had people buy 380 and try to put it in their 38 special. I've had just any story about on education with guns, I've had it, man. And the best of it is, is 15 times during a gun show, people walk up, they hand you a gun with a, bo a box with a gun in it and say, I need ammo for this. I'm like, all right, what caliber is it? I don't know. What does caliber mean? And I was like, oh, where does it yeah. shoot? They're like, 
It's a SIG. It takes SIG am. I'm like, holy moly, you are going to hurt yourself. Literally. I tell him like, man, congratulations being a new gun owner, but I'm dead serious where you need to go spend $2,000 on training to learn the basics. Yeah. Like, do you know how to load it? Do you know? Nope. I'm like, and their answer is I'm gonna go watch a YouTube video, man. YouTube's going to kill you. Literally. It's, it's not, it's not, it's, you know, it's funny, but it's not funny because those people walk among us. Yeah, that's definitely not fun. Those are the guys, I hate to say it, but the stereotype guy you see at the gun show or the grocery store with some combat boots on, his 5'11 pants tucked in the top of him in a nylon holster with a with a high point stuck in it. Oh. He he's, you know, he thinks he's a Navy SEAL or something. It's like, well, and, and I would say, actually, Andy, and I would think the other two would probably <laughs> confirm this. Uh, just because of what we've seen is it's typically not the idiot who injures himself. It's the idiot who ends up injuring or killing somebody. somebody. Yeah. And that's They're, the most important part of that whole conversation. He'd be, like, lucky, he'd be lucky to hurt himself, but tragically he's going to hurt somebody else. That's like, I've been working on a, I've been updating one of my uh, PowerPoint outlines for the paramedic students. And it took me a little while to find this video that I was searching for that I had seen several years ago where a chick is playing with a gun in the front of a car and the dude's like, you're making me nervous, you know, don't do that. And she ends up shooting him in the grape. Yeah. And you literally see the stream of blood just come shooting wow. out of his head. Oh, I've seen that video. That's, that's horrifying, man. It's horrifying. Yeah. It is now in my PowerPoint so I can go, now yeah. let's talk about it. <laughs> and you know, the reality of it is, that people, people like us know, and people who are probably watching this podcast know because, you know, this is the subject matter we're talking about. Um, but once you pull that trigger, man, there's no taking it back. You can't, it's not like the matrix where you can stop time. It's not, it's done, man. It's done. If you shoot someone in the head, there's nothing you can do. I hate to see it, but if you've never seen anybody get shot in the head or a gunshot wound, it's fucking horrific, man. Yeah. And I, you know, the funny part, it's interesting. I shouldn't say funny part, but I took my daughter, you know, and I, and I, taught her like hunting and everything like that at a very young age. And that was one of the things I tried to instill is like, Hey, look, even when bow hunting, cause we would bow hunt a lot was yeah. the fact that once you let that arrow go, there's no getting it back. That's right. So once you kill yeah. that animal or kill that person, it's no, oops, I'm sorry. Yeah. There's no doing CPR anymore. Yeah. There's right. no respawn no. button. They don't end up coming back in a different place. Yeah, you right. can't hit the delete button on that one. It's right. Mm. And so I try to teach her that hey, if you're going to, you know, do mm. this, you make sure that this is what it's meant for, you know. And if you're going to kill this deer, you're going to kill this deer, not just to to wound it, you know, or right here. Yeah. But just realize that once you let it go, it's not coming back. And it's right. and like you said, this is not a video game. Like like Leo was saying, did you hit the reset button or like oh yeah, I didn't mean to do that. Yep. Second, second live coming in, jumping back in, and watch him pop back up. It's just not going to do that. So yeah, again, yeah. that's education, you know that you know that I instilled in my daughter, and a lot of people don't instill in their kids because they they sit there and look, and I see all these kids playing Grand Theft Auto, and they think yeah. that oh oh look at that, I just go and kill them, and then look, they pop back up somewhere else, or you know, and yeah. it's like. The parents are not educating these kids these days to understand that you know it's this is what reality that it's that's right. not the way real life is, but yeah. And you know that old exactly. saying, man. My dad told me this a long time ago, and I've always kept this saying, like, 
more unloaded gun. There's been more people killed by unloaded guns. Right. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, the yeah. first thing you do, you, if someone hands you a gun, I mean, you guys, I, I would trust if Dave Riddle handed me a pistol, 100% that it's unloaded. Yes. Mm -hmm. But that, or 99.9 .9, to the 99, but that micro, Scott, that thing I've talked, I'm just going to check it because that's a safe thing right. to do. That's the way you handle guns. You know, it doesn't matter. If I've watched him unload her in, you'd always got to check it. And, you know, to that, you know, more people have been killed by the unloaded gun. I've actually, to this story, and then we can talk about <laughs> something else, whatever you got. So when I was in the gun shop, we were up in the gun shop. I was helping the guy up there one time. He had a crowd in there. And this guy and his kid came in, wanted to see this Ruger 1022 on the shelf. So I get the, get the rifle down, make lock the bolt back, make sure it's unloaded, hand it to him. He just this I hand it to the father, right? He's like a 10-year-old boy, eight to ten-year-old boy. He takes it, closes the bolt on it, points it at his son, and pulls the trigger and goes, pow, pow, oh man, look at this thing. And I was like, I literally almost I felt like beating the beating the guy to death with the gun. I I handed it to him and I kicked him the hell out. Like, dude, get out. And that that he literally took the gun, pointed at his son, and was like making like pew pew sounds and everything. I was like, wow. I almost came over to counter the guy. Like I literally said, "Man, get the hell out! And don't ever come yeah. back." I don't know if you can tell by our visceral reactions right now. That none of us were okay happened. with that one. Yeah, that literally <laughs> happened. And there was yeah. another guy in the gun shop. He was like, "Oh my god, man!" Yeah, I mean, that, it, yeah, that's so not okay. That stupid, that stupidity exists, but that's the level of uneducation. And there's some people out there who. You got to do a lot of research, and some people shouldn't have a gun. Sorry, <laughs> you know, but, and some people shouldn't have kids, but that's another subject. But yeah, that's it. there's a lot of stupid people out there, and there's a lot of stupid questions, and you see a lot of stupid stuff when you do enough gun shows and stuff. It's yeah. Well, I will say that's why all, all most, if not all of us, have a job is because somebody out there did something stupid. Oh yeah, man. So, oh yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yep. Well, there you go. Well, Andy, that's got, about all we got for you. Is there any um, any charities you support or anything you want to plug? Um, yeah, you know, um, we get back into this, and you know, ammo becomes more available and stuff like that. Um, as a company, we would like to velocity ammo sales support. You know, I, I always support. Um, I'm a recon marine. I support the uh, Marine Reconnaissance Foundation. Um, I donate money to the Recon and Sniper Foundation. There's kind of charities and they <clears throat> they reached out to me and wanted to know Recon Cyber Foundation has a shooting team and wanted to know if we could do something with ammo. So we were going to do something and then this crap happened and we just don't have enough ammo to do it, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, once this stuff clears up, there is some stuff like that to do um, to, to give back to the loyal customers and, and just charities and organizations that I believe in personally and stuff like that. And um, yeah, man, you guys hit me up. I'd love to, you know, we'd love to be a sponsor of you guys too. We can talk about that offline, but yeah, stuff like that. And um, just young shooters, you know, uh, before all this started happening, uh, there's a group of us around the shop that shot up at Northern Virginia Gun Club in King George for their Rimstar, Rimfire Steel competition. And that was fun, man. That was fun. Inexpensive way to get into competition. You know, you're shooting, or if you're USPSA or something, that's a good way to hone your skills as little. Basically, a two gun, 22, 
little custom 22 and 22 pistol and rifle and just shoot Empire Steel, man. That was fun. And, you know, we used to, we used to sponsor a couple of little kids that did that. Cause there were some young kids that were doing it. And they were, like I said, they were, they would humble me, man. They were, they were good at it. And uh, so we used to do that too, but we had to get back into that stuff too. And you guys can always throw, if there's something you guys have in mind for a charity or something like that. Yeah. You guys um, reach out to me and let me know. Yeah. We're always happy to plug stuff like that on here. So. Well, and, and how do, um, what is the website you guys use for your retail sales? Um, VelocityAmmoSales.com. And I get, you know, that's the best way to look at even what I get. I get a hundred phone calls and texts a day about, Hey man, do you have this in stock or whatever? And a lot of times I can't keep what we have in stock. I put, I put one case of nine millimeter FMJ on the website yesterday and it was literally gone in 30 seconds. Wow. I'm not even joking. 30 seconds. It was gone. Wow. 20 boxes. Um, but so the best way to see, you know, what we have in stock or, or, or answer those questions, just go to the website and look, it's just going to simply say out of stock. There's a notify me button on there. You can hit it and be notified pretty quickly when we do get it. And that's why it sells out so quick. Cause a lot of people hit that notify me when it's back in stock. And as soon as they get that email or text message, wherever it is, they, they, they're buying. It. So that's the best way. Um, there's a couple of ammo out there. That's pretty getting readily, readily available right now. You know, there's some, all the steel case stuff, the two, two, three wolf, seven sixty by three, nine, that stuff's pretty out there. I mean, the price is not what it used to be, but it's still readily available. Like I said, we're talking about import. Hopefully we can bring some five, five, six, nine millimeter back on the market at reasonable prices here soon. Um, and I'll let you guys know that too. So um, okay. it happens too. So yeah, just that velocity sales.com. And I appreciate you guys having me on here and, uh, any no, it's been a pleasure talking to you guys and meeting you guys. Um, we appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe, uh, I don't know, we can all meet up somewhere and have, a drink, have a drink or hamburger and just talk. You guys are nice guys. Yeah, anything yeah, anything that gets me away from my kids for five minutes. I'm in. <laughs> I love Sounds my good, kids. Man. I love my kids. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah. Thank you for listening. I hope you continue to listen and tell everybody you know about us. You can find us at www.casualshooterpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.